Welcome to the Round 6 Podcast, a weekly roundtable discussion featuring a variety of automotive subjects, interviews, special guests, and stories, hosted by the Round 6 Gearheads, Brian Stupski, Alex Welsh, and Brad King. Here on episode 32, the Gearheads sit and talk with Hot Rod Builder, Good Guys Trendsetter, and Grand National Roadster Show Hall of Fame member Zane Cohen of Katati Speed Shop. Just think about baseball. Okay. Uh, welcome to the Round 6 Podcast. I'm Brian. I'm Brent. I'm Alex. And with us tonight, uh, you guys are in for a treat because uh, we're going to do something different. <laughs> we're, we're going uh, to three-way tonight, and uh, we're going all zanal. Uh, we have with us a uh, good friend, legendary builder, uh, and just all-around awesome, nice guy, Mr. Zane Cullen from Katati Speed Shop. How are you, sir? I'm great. What's up? All of we're we're up apparently. Uh, I'm not even going to go there. There's stuff that was mentioned <laughs> prior that. Okay, I'm not proud. How of. are you guys this evening? <laughs> I'm well. <laughs> Better now. That's right. Better. Yeah. Now. Yep. All right. Well, good for fucking you. Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> what What's happening, man? What What is new in your world, sir? Um, really nothing new, just, um, work as usual, assholes and elbows, um, getting ready for SEMA, of course, um, and the upcoming Roadster show in January always seems to be kind of the tail end of the year is always the craziest for us, um, because of those two events, we've always kind of primarily focused on the Roadster show, and then SEMA is just something that kind of developed later on but has been going on for for us for a number of years now so it's um it's kind of crazy um too much to do not enough time you know how it is always. same story for everyone always we've got well we should i don't we could touch on this later or whatever uh we've got kind of a cool deal going together with you for the sema show this year uh, as far as um giving a behind-the-scenes look to uh, bringing a car onto the show floor. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I'm excited about what you guys are doing and a few of the other things that have uh, kind of fallen into place with that. Uh, how do you want to go about it? Well, it's uh, it, it's it's really cool, man. It's, it's a totally different vehicle. Um, let, let's kind of just tease everybody with this thing. So if I just go silent, does that tease them? Perfect. That'd be the greatest tease of all time. We'll be like, oh, sorry, yeah. we had an audio problem. He's doing it in sign language right now. <laughs> <laughs> the really trick part is, though, how you're going to go from the SEMA show, bring it back to the shop, cut the roof off, and then take it to the Roadster show. Yeah, and extend it to put the hot tub in. Well, right. The hot tub is going to be great, though. And we'd like to extend a, a special thank you to Santa Rosa Hot Tubs for their participation in this year's project. <laughs> uh, um, let me throw some backstory on the car at you and then um, let me know if you want me to continue into detail but um, project started a few years back um, it was actually a car that I had 
acquired from my dad. Um, he acquired it from a fan, you know, a family friend type of thing. And at some point, I got it for my wife as a project to do. Um, she likes Camaros, wanted one, and you know, like normal in this industry, um, you know, doing twelve-hour plus days and um, having a couple kids growing up and all that stuff, your time becomes limited. So obviously, like most projects, it sat. And um, really good client and friend, uh, going back a number of years, we probably. Met Mike, um, owner of the car. Yeah, I probably had known Mike probably over 20 years. I think I knew, I've known Mike since before my first kid was born. Um, so we have a long kind of standing business relationship. We've gotten to do some neat stuff for him over the years. He had a kind of a big gap where we didn't do anything, you know, car wise with him for a while. And, and he went, uh, racing with his son and they um started out doing some kind of like go-kart type sprint stuff you know like winged go-karts um then they quickly migrated into sprint cars did dirt for a while um brian his son then kind of got you know they got pretty serious about uh pavement silver crown cars and um ended up winning a usac western states championship and uh, um, the motor in this Camaro comes from that championship car. And it sounds awesome. Wow, they're way. not messing around. I like that. No, and, and, and um, you know, when we started the project, um, you know, Mike, we were actually doing another project first, and then the, the Camaro thing kind of started and then got crazy. He... Um, you know, kind of approached us and said, hey, you know, I, I want to build a Camaro and um, I got this motor. I think we can do something neat. And I'm like, yeah, shit, that the motor sounds awesome. And in the stipulations and we're very loose. So we, we kind of got started, hit the ground, started buying some parts. And um, I don't know, maybe we were about a month or so into it and had accumulated some pretty good parts already. And hadn't spec too much chassis stuff and Mike walked in one day and um, kind of threw the project for a whole loop and I think he probably had it in his head the whole time but just didn't quite articulate it or you know and you know just I don't know just started kind of I thought we were going to build just a really cool um, simple pro touring type car with this nasty ass engine in it and um, one day he walks in he's says, hey, I got a couple things that I definitely want you to do in the project. And I said, okay. So we started talking and he said, you know, I want the footprint on the ground to be the same as my 2012 01 Corvette. I'm like, oh, uh, all right. Well, uh, let me do some measuring and, you know, see where the numbers lie and, you know, you know, just figure out what that, what that means. And, you know, as I started to measure the car, I come to find out it's, you know, much wider to the ground. It's actually two inches shorter than a 68 Camaro. And um, so, you know, I just, you know, goofing around on paper and numbers and stuff. And I came back a week later and I said, well, I, I kind of got this figured out. And 
I said, you know, I, we can shorten up the wheelbase and I figured out where we can take it out of the car and you would never, you know, to the normal eye would never know that we took two inches out of a 68 Camaro wheelbase and proportionally would still look good. And, um, I said, but you know, the wheels are going to stick out and I don't think cutting the car down the middle and making it a wide body thing would, I've seen that done and it just doesn't really look right. And, um, I said, so, you know, what do you, where do you want to compromise on the wheat, on the, on the track width? Because the Corvette's just too wide. He says, well, I'm not going to. And he says, I know how that car feels. Um, very comfortable with it. it um, I like how stable it is out on the track. So that's our guideline. That's what you have to work with. So he says, well, you know, what are you going to do? And I said, well, I'm going to put some more thought into this. So a little more time went by and, you know, obviously it kind of immediately lends itself to flares of some sort. And, um, so I don't know, usually I kind of meet with Mike every Saturday. He works a lot and that's usually kind of his time to get away from work and cars are the therapy. And so we met a couple Saturdays later or something. And I said, well, you know, I'm kind of a less is more type of guy and I don't want to get the car all gaudy looking with a bunch of add on stuff and what have you. I said, but you know, there's no getting around it. It's going to have flares. I said, you know, what if we kept the car in this real simple fashion? We stayed very true to what a Camaro looks like. Um, you know, but our external theme and kind of aesthetic of the car would be based around the idea of it was, 1968, maybe 1970, car is a couple years old, and a guy from Japan comes over, buys this car, and brings it home. What would he have done to it in Japan? So it kind of then started to spawn off in just a simple early JDM look. Uh, um, for me, if I really start geeking out on it, you strip it down. If you look at early skylines and some of the early, you know, very early 70s Japanese cars, I feel that they looked at American muscle cars and copied some of the aesthetics and carried stuff over. Uh, I think some of the Celicas and things of that year have a little bit more scaled down version of the muscle car. So we just kind of took that and Mike, Mike's like, cool, it sounds cool. And I showed him some pictures of, you know, simple early stock skylines with some JDM player and um, kind of reached out to Brian, of course, and put those ideas to paper and um, came up with something really cool and, and aggressive, but very um, something that's still very Camaro-like. And as it evolved, you know, Mike was adamant that he wanted a real car. He wanted a real Camaro. He wanted it to be steel and have real glass in it. Um, and um, then things just got out of control. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, uh, it's, it, it's an incredibly aggressive car um, with some very radical modifications. And like in normal fashion of what seems to happen to us, which I enjoy the challenge, um, we end up with these incredibly difficult builds that when you reach the finish line and they're done, um, 
They have a very understated look about them. And, and um, you know, when, when the car's finished and people get to see it first time or whatever, to me that's one of the coolest things of, you know, people seeing the car and maybe not necessarily knowing what you did. And then you notice that they come back and they start to notice more or they'll approach you about something that they think they see. And, um, I don't know. That becomes a lot of fun for me. Um, I, I think if you do a car, no matter how radical or understated, if the, the customized treatments are done in a way that are respectful to the car and the design of the car, um, people shouldn't notice. So, right on. anyhow, got a little off track there, but no, uh, no, I totally agree with that last statement. I, I like cars like that when you could have 20 things done and you walk up and you see two and you're trying to figure out where the other 18 are and yep. you know, what's been done. You just haven't, yep. you just can't figure out what's been done. So I like, yep. I like yep. what you're talking about. Proportionally, it's all correct and it's integrated so nicely that it just it it works. And the more you look, the more you see. But it's not obvious from you know fifty feet across a parking lot. Right. Yep. You know, from a from a builder's, I don't know, I, I don't know, if jaded is the right word, or maybe I just don't give a shit. Um, you know, you go into shows or places like the SEMA show and. You know, you see some incredible cars from well-known builders and some not so well-known, and it's it's exciting to see. And, you know, I try to, uh, when I look at a car, I'm especially something that's built by somebody else, I'm really not that interested in all the things that they did. I'm more interested in, is it pleasing to the eye, you know, um, if a if, there's stuff on the car that doesn't jump out and, you know, create your own opinions of things and what have you. Um, that's always exciting for me to see. I'm always interested. In, and um, there's, from my perspective, there's, there's only a few builders that seem to get that or nail that. Uh, um, but there's something for everyone. I think uh, you don't have to like simple and subtle cars. You can like crazy radical stuff and, um, that's what keeps it fun. Everybody likes something different. Yep, for sure. Exactly. And, and this one, this is a little different than uh, kind of a lot of the stuff you've been working on recently. Is you mean you you kind of have a, a good name for yourself out there? Is doing a lot of like really more traditional type stuff. Yeah, we've always been. This is our twenty fifth year in actual in being in business. Um, and. Uh, you know, we've always been very diverse. Uh, um, we've done a handful of 32s and traditional early four type stuff. Um, um, but beyond that, we've always done a little bit of everything from C10 truck stuff to, um, you know, willies and muscle car stuff, um, mid-50s trucks, Tri-5 Chevy. Um, and then I guess the one thing that's always been kind of, there and maybe it's become our staple in that um we really just try to focus on a quality build um ideas that are simple um I, and the work to get there isn't always simple um, so a lot of our builds become extensive but um 
you know, it's nice to be reaching a point where I find that we're aligning ourselves with more clients that their taste and what they want out of a car is in line with what we strive to build in a car. Um, and I think being diverse all of those years has helped us helped us navigate that a little bit. Um, so, I've, you know, the Camaro is definitely way outside of the uh, coloring book lines. Um, but again, it's, uh, it's, 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 I don't know, it's an interesting thing. Um, I have found that internally this car has challenged us um, to a pretty difficult point. Um, I've seen people run from the challenge of this car, um, as well as work with people that highly embrace it and accept the challenges that the car puts in front of us. Um, it's, um, it's like building four or five cars into one vehicle with how intense, um, some of the fabrication and, and work has been in the car just to achieve simple results. Um, kind of a little sidebar to that. We had the car out in January of this year. We took it to the roadster show and had it in our booth as a work in progress. And it was just a good goal for us too. We had, um, we really needed to test some mechanical things in the car and the plumbing is even over the top and intricate. And, and we really wanted to test all the fluid systems and some of the things that were outside of a normal hot rod build. And, um, so we brought the car down in kind of a skeletal form. Um, we drove it in under its own power, but we literally had, you know, no doors, no front clip. Um, it was kind of a body shell attached to a chassis, you know, cage chassis. And, um, it just, just the motor running is, is so wicked and the attention that it gets. But, you know, obviously through the course uh, three days at the Roadster show, it's not running in your booth and to have people come by and appreciate some of the details and the overall project itself. But we, we had some industry people stop by and, um, look the car over pretty well. We got a couple people to sit in it. And, um, probably one of my favorite things is, uh, Rick Love from Vintage Air stopped by a few times, each time looked at the car a little bit differently. And we, we got Rick to sit in it and, you know, cause looking at the car, some things look out of place and you realize how much the dash has been moved back. And I think, I think the, the, I think the engine was moved back eight inches total. Um, so it, obviously that moves the firewall and the dash and everything back. And we put a ton of time and energy into making the car so that when the, you know, the driver or, pe you know, the people are sitting in it, that it doesn't look like you're sitting in the back seat. A um, lot of emphasis on, you know, the ergonomics uh, for the driver and passenger, as well as when two people are sitting in the car, um, does it look normal or does it look like a monkey fucking a football? So, um, you know, <laughs> depends what, on you the know, position. <laughs> American you know, so walking up, <laughs> uh, well, uh, in the normal sense, I feel like I'm usually the foot 
football in all cases. But, um, <laughs> you know, when walking by the car and there's no front clip and no doors on and you see the dash and what's going on, you're like, man, this is kind of weird. So, you know, Rick was talking about some stuff on the car and had some genuine interest and we got him to sit in it and once he got in he was like holy crap is he 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 was like yeah i can't believe how comfortable i am in the car how well you can see out all the window openings um wasn't what he expected and then you know as he was sitting there and being comfortable he this kind of getting back to my point of one of the things that uh, i was very pleased with is he quickly noted and started to mention how much the dash reminded him of somewhat of a stock appearing dash and then and um you know kind of pointed to a few things and like the placement of stuff and and then i pointed out a couple of things that we did on the dash and he was like holy shit i didn't even notice that he's like that's how much it looks stock and then that's that to me was a great compliment so um you know i probably drove six different individuals here crazy that you know during the course of working on the car on specific things the way they needed to be but once executed to me that's the payoff um of you know people like that getting it seeing it or it looking so correct that they didn't even notice that it was modified so that was a cool thing we had a few we had a few of those happen at the roadster show so um you know bringing it to sema will be uh much different and much more of uh, the cars evolved a lot more since then. I, I got a question I'm kind of curious about. Um, <clears throat> when it's all done, throw it on some scales and just see what the weight bias is compared to a stock Camaro. I'm kind of curious. Uh, we are too. Um, we're not quite there yet. Uh, we'll actually probably be scaling it in the upcoming couple of weeks. We, um, we did <laughs> scale it very early on. There was a lot of stuff in the car, but not necessarily finished or with a home so to speak um i don't remember the numbers exactly but i want to say we were about 2700 2600 pounds at that time um i'm pretty much expecting to put the car on a diet once we're up and running but you know it's been a juggling act with the owner mike wanting the car to be a real camaro to a degree with being all steel um we've tried to create ways to attach parts with aluminum to keep it light um but we still have you know a full um i didn't say this earlier but the car is on a fully specced chassis um started out uh, morrison was very kind in working with the parameters and requests that we had to meet mike's request on the footprint and stuff so they they did some stuff outside of their normal camaro platform if you were going to put a camaro on a full frame um which you know usually they specialize in the front subframe assembly and a rear clip that you can integrate and weld into the um unibody or steel floor of the car with some subframe connectors and uh, we are a full-blown chassis with an integrated, um, you know, cage with FIA bars, and um, you know, try to try to follow some SCCA rule guidelines and a couple of different categories to, you know, build a well-rounded car. And 
you know, Mike, the owner, his biggest thing is, you know, he wants to be, he wants to go out to track days and push his own limits and boundaries and, and, you know, learn where to respect the car. Um, obviously it's a, it's a big investment that we don't want to lose. Um, and, um, you know, probably and most likely some Optima stuff, but we try to really gear some of the work done to, you know, maybe be able to go out and run the Texas Mile, Mojave Magnum, um, Silver State Classic, Pikes Peak. I mean, I think the car could be very universal if he chooses that he wants to start pushing those boundaries. Right on. So, weight weight wise, um, to repeat myself, I'm pretty much expecting that we're taking the car to Jenny Craig when we're done. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was just more curious about the bias, you know, the front to rear because you pulled everything back. So I was just kind of curious. Oh uh, yeah, actually, the uh, that at that time that we scaled, um, we're working with a, a, a friend of the shop who's here locally. He's been racing, doing road racing as a crew chief. Um, sets up the car um, in a number of different categories for probably 40 years. And uh, so he's given us some some guidelines to go off of. And I think when we scaled it, uh, we were like a 46-54% split, maybe 48-52. And that's right where he wanted us. Um, we've got the um, fuel cells really low to the ground. Uh, it's actually below the uh, uh, center line of the vehicle. Um, motor moved back. A lot of the weight is between the axles, so to speak. Nice. So, um, yeah, we've done a lot of weird stuff that initially I had no idea in hell what the heck we were going to do. And, you know, it's like anything. I, it, to me, the it, as you're building it and fabricating and you know, problem solving, um, a lot of times I think the car starts to tell you what it needs, and that's how we've developed a lot of the ideas in there. And you know, one guy comes up with an idea, and that spawns another idea, and and um, you build you build a couple of uh, build a lot of templates. We've been through a lot of chipboard. Um, and then that evolved into, you know, maybe some hard templates, some, you know, some form sheet metal to test an idea and stuff. And, you know, in some cases, the, those hard templates have stayed on the car for months to just catch up other portions of the car until you can develop those ideas further. One thing that's been really fun on this car and is definitely outside of um, stuff that we've done in the past, um, and it's really through the pro through this project, it's uh, um, we've been able to kind of parlay this into other builds going on. Is we're working with uh, and aligned um, the shop, our shop here, with another shop who's kind of a one man band. It's a it's a pretty young sh shop. It's been in business just a few years now. Um, it's Cody Swinehart at uh, Quarter Tilt Creations, um, and he he. Approaches fabrication a little bit different than you normally see in the hot rod world or racing world, and um, he's doing some really neat things with um, CNC plasma, and and uh, it's allowed us to create a lot of neat ideas and brackets within the car. Um, since I mentioned other people or him so far, um, projects like this and like any project, there's so many people involved and. 
And uh, even though we do a lot and, and a majority of the work in-house, there's a, um, a bunch of people outside um, outside of our four walls that have played a major role um, in that. And, you know, I'll try to mention them throughout or when you guys want, I'll, I'll run down the mental list of cool people that have been involved with it. Oh, yeah, that, that's and that's a very big part of this, man. So feel free i mean don't don't ever think you're going to be you know playing name drop boy here is uh right right well, well we'll play that game later on we play <laughs> name drop with the round six guys but well and i mean i think all projects kind of take on a life of their own and develop their own character in a way um and like brian and i were talking about a few weeks back um you know a project like this there's uh, so many people involved um, and the challenges are so big in the project that um, the, the kind of the storyline of the car um, almost become it becomes secondary. Um, there's so much supporting cast to make this happen. Um, um, it's it's pretty cool. It's like you said that that in itself takes a life of its own. And um, this project has uh, has has definitely broke some people uh, into bitches. Um, <laughs> you didn't. You definitely, definitely learn who shines under pressure and who uh, gives up or caves in or uh, just loses their mental shit over it. Well, now, kind of not to steer too far off the car if you don't want to, but you, you just touched on something that's very interesting. And, you know, after 25 years in business, I'm sure every shop in the world struggles through this. But to kind of get into your head and see where you're at as far as, you know, how you approach the situation, how do you deal with turnover and as you know, with employee side, especially when it comes down to things like people who maybe come in and want to be car builders or want to be, you know, um, a fabricator, anything like that, especially in a professional environment, how do you manage a guy who maybe just isn't going to cut it? I think probably the simplest answer there is, I think you have to spend a little bit of time with people to find out if they're going to cut it, so to speak, or if they're going to fit in or make it. Um, right. That's not something that you learn in a handshake conversation um, and some good information on a resume. I think, you know, spending a couple of days or a couple of weeks in the work environment with a person gives you a good idea if they're going to make it or not. Um and probably for myself, what I've learned over the years is the quality of person is probably more important than the work at first. I think the work part of it can be developed further or, so, you know, there's, there's always room for people to sharpen their pencil, <laughs> myself included. Uh, um, you know, I always kind of joke around and say we're all works in progress because I think in my industry you never you never want to stop learning, and if you do, if you think you've reached a point where you don't need to learn anymore, um, this this isn't the place for you. So I think if somebody is, um, you know, they got the right qualities as a human being, um, and they uh, are open minded, and they handle constructive criticism or what we're trying to get them to do, um, then I think we got somebody that's a great fit. Um, 
and it, I think it takes a little time to find out about that person. So, um, here, my philosophy has always been, I really, I've always wanted to strive for long-term, uh, people. Um, I think these cars are, you know, they take time to build and I think you've got to get through a few builds with people, um, for sometimes people to really get it and get what's involved and um, kind of embrace it more of a part of their lifestyle than just a job. And then on top of it, you want to have the kind of person working in your shop who, you know, maybe makes everybody's day better, even if they do that just by not making it worse. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And it's, it, it's funny, man. We, we've, we've had a really good run. We've had um, some incredible pe people work here over the years. I've been exposed to some amazingly talented people. Um, and, you know, in some cases, I've been around people that have more natural talent, but they are the most difficult person to work with, or they have such a shitty attitude towards things that, you know, maybe earlier on in, in our business career, I would hang on more to like, man, this guy, God, he can do so many great things. And I would focus more on that and realize how, not realize how toxic their behavior was within the group or the environment. Um, you know, and you live through that a couple of times to realize that, I don't give a shit how talented you are. If you got a bad attitude or you don't want to help be a part of the solution and your attitude is just adding to the problems, I don't have any time or energy for people like that at this point. So at 25 years of business, I find ourselves trying to kind of hone in on that, that idea and, and really want to improve that environment and the people that are here um and that's not to say anything derogatory about people that are here currently i'm just at a point in my life where this is how we do things and we do it at a certain level and if some if somebody's working on something and it needs to be better and we're discussing that and i tell people this i try to remind people this on a regular basis and i always talk about it when you first start working with someone and that we're discussing things needing to be better or design elements or anything within a project. It's not personal. It's about the car and what we need to deliver to our customer. And there's a lot of time that I spend with the client or the client, maybe there's already an established relationship and they are relying on me to handle those things because they know what we're going to deliver. So, I always embrace people's ideas and opinions, and I think the more information that people bring to the table helps a project get better and evolve more. But, you know, at the end of the day, they kind of just kind of want to just ram heads all the time or not listen, um, that becomes a problem for me. Um, and I guess another part of that equation that I've learned some of life's, life's lessons the hard way and that 
and we all go through this in any kind of relationship, whether it's our marriage, our girlfriend, our customers, our coworkers. Um, we've all been through this, and we always everybody preaches it, and that we all say, you know, communication is the most important thing. It's the most important tool that we have, and and I think there's a shit ton of truth to that. And what I find, especially in people that preach it on a regular basis, is that they're great at talking, but they're horrible at listening. And I've been through some tough spots with customers and people over the years where I've been guilty of that too. And I've continued to try to polish my uh, ability to listen. And I can't tell you how important that is. I can't tell anybody how important that is when we're working on cars and you know, a, a technician in the shop is trying to explain something that he thinks we need to do. And I really try to listen intently to that person's ideas. And um, I try to practice really hard to not interrupt. So, I, you know, just let them tell me everything that it is that they need to tell me about it and do my best to listen. And then when it's my turn to talk and we go through those ideas, um, I kind of expect people to follow the same manner. And uh, I find myself constantly trying to get people to remember that because if I spend the time to go over important details of a project and they come back an hour later or they come get me, you know, they, they, set off on a path and they come get me the next day and they're like, Hey, I want you to look at this. And it's not what we talked about. Then, then you know, we, that's a communication problem that that myself and that person got to hone in better. So I'm constantly trying to work through those battles and, and get people, other people to, you know, improve those skills as well. And, uh, yeah, it's just a, it's that challenge. Some people you win with and some people um, you don't win with. So kind of uh, for me, aligning myself with quality minded craftsmen, people willing to learn and continue to grow as a craftsman is, is the number one goal. And, and I think that will constantly improve our products. And, so now, okay, that brought up a whole other question too. So, if you're you're trying to trying to evolve, and at the same time you're trying to inspire your team to evolve, where do you see yourself now as opposed to what your vision was 25 years ago? I mean, do do you think you stayed one course? I mean, obviously, everybody has to evolve somewhat, but differences being like if if you were to go back in time to 25 years ago, Zane writing his, uh, his business plan. If you were to read that today, where do you see yourself? Um, that's a loaded question, man. I'm, I'm sorry. I figured I just really, <laughs> if I was going to push you uh, out of the plane, man, this is, this was it. I... <laughs> yeah. I don't need no fucking parachute. Um, I'll try to chop that one up a little bit. Um, going back to the beginning at that time, um, honestly, 25 years ago, I started 
you know, even building up to before we were an official business, I started with a partner and, um, you know, the, the kind of the mindset at the time was like, well, let's, let's try this out for a year and see how it goes. And, you know, two guys working, no employees trying to make a go of it. It was tough. Um, I, I kind of look back. I'm grateful that I started at a young age because some of the sacrifices that I made uh, in many of the early years, uh, especially financial sacrifices, um, there's no way that I could afford to do that. I, I don't even think I'd be willing to do that um, in later years as the business went on, um, especially bringing a couple of kids into the world and being married and all of that stuff. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of glad I did that early. So I guess initially the business plan was let's try this out. And we actually did write one, but it was like, you know, here's what we think we can do. Here's some numbers. If we work this much, we can generate this. And we quickly found out that um, the, the financial graph was um, not worth a shit. Um, how many things that can go wrong and you can't bill out for. Um, but the general goal was, let's see if we can make a go of this. And after the first year, it was like, well, we're still here. It's not easy, but we're here. And we just kind of built off of that. And as the business, I guess, started to grow and we were brave enough to hire an employee and, and then a second one and kind of keep things moving. Um, that allowed us to produce a little bit more work. And the financial part of producing more work helped us slowly grow, um, you know, one piece of equipment at a time. And, um, you know, we are back. Both of our backgrounds didn't really have any uh, financial assistance from family members or anything. It was just some basic tools. And um, as we hired people, we found people like, man, you can do that really well. And you're better at that than me. And. You know, so we kind of started to figure out that we could do more things with having different skill sets and and how cool that was to have other people compliment and you do the same for them as far as the, the work that they could do or you could do. And, um, you know, we kind of started to grow and um, I think we were in our first location for six, six and a half years. And then when we moved into this location, we've been here uh, the remainder of time and uh, we quadrupled in space. So we went from like 1800 square feet or 2000 square feet to 8,000 square feet. Wow. And, um, you know, gave us the ability to uh, have a few more people and, and uh, it was good, man. We were, we had some great, Great jobs, um, which we still do, but it just seems like every year was just a uh, an evolution um, to build off of. Um, I kind of still feel that way today. I mean, it would just try to evolve in different ways and and improve and um, improve the you know always raise the bar within our own work and compete against ourselves. Um, and uh, you know. People of all kinds, whether it's customer, employee, coworker, whatever you want to call it, um, those are probably the hardest challenges. Um, 
fast forwarding, you know, I guess at one point we went from the two of us and I don't remember the exact timelines, but at one point I think we had as many as 16 people, maybe 17 people was the largest amount we ever had. And, um, that was a pretty short duration. We kind of scaled back to about uh, maybe 14 people for a while. And then kind of 12, 10 people kind of became a magic number where it was a little bit more comfortable. It was a little bit more manageable. Um, and, uh, you know, we've kind of have floated in that number, give or take, um, for a number of years now. And there was a point in time, which I thought, man, you know, just, just a couple more guys fill a couple of spots that, you know, we could shine a little bit better and, you know, and produce a little bit more and we that would kind of break into a, a, a totally different threshold. Uh, maybe kind of a tipping point for our company, and um, we try it, and you know, again, one wrong person and some toxic behavior, and for years it just kind of struggled in that realm, and kind of then tipped back down to the eight or nine guys, and it's like, okay, well, this this just flows better, you know. It's a, you know, a good group. We always seem to be more cohesive around that number, and. Um, so that's kind of been even even through the tough times of uh, some of the recession that started back in 06, 07, uh, we were able to manage that number and and uh, still kind of work through the bumps of the economy. And I think it was a kind of fast forward into today's environment. You know, the industry is growing by leaps and bounds. Um, it's harder and harder to find people. Um and I think the direction of work that I want to focus on, um, that becomes a little bit more of a narrow marketplace. And um, so I'm kind of trying to make sure that we can maintain our staff. Again, we got a great group currently. Um, we all give each other a pretty hard time and work well together. And, um, you know, I'm kind of grateful to be surrounded by some people that might be confrontational about the work, but that's what they're trying to do is they're trying to push the limits of the work. Um, and it's uh, hard to not get caught up in the course of the data, even remind myself that it's about the work. It's not personal. Um, but I really want to take what we're doing and, and I think what you're seeing in the Camaro, even though it's kind of race car meets street car, um, just really kind of focus on specialized projects. And we've definitely built um, uh, a number of cars over the years and, and, and have um, somewhat of a client base that wants to bring their cars back for service work and things like that. And that's hard enough to squeeze in with the uh, size of staff and the builds that we have going on. So in a way, we're really trying to regulate um, the type of jobs, how many jobs, and um, try to get a better balance of that time and, and maybe at some point divert a little energy to other places in the business at that point. Well, it sounds like you're keeping really, really busy. That's That's got to be a challenge to keep 12 guys plus yourself buried out there. Yeah. Um, 
a lot right now and for many months, you know, we're um, trying to make sure all of our projects get um, as much attention and, and consistent attention as we can give them. Um, but the, this, this particular Camaro that we keep talking about has been at times anywhere from three people to six or seven people working on that project. And in, in the, several of those people are um, some businesses outside of our own that have played a huge role in the project. And, um, but still, it's got to be managed. There's a lot of communication and mental planning and you know strategizing ideas and um and a lot of times my approach on that is you know i'll go over some specific things that we need to do in this project or any project and um i try to leave it with the guys at that point um it's i'm going to kind of go off probably topic here but um, it's interesting to me when hiring somebody and kind of working through that kind of dating, so to speak, that initial honeymoon process of somebody who's interested in working here. It's always, you know, I've always wanted to do this and, you know, hot rods would be a dream job for me and uh, all those things. And, and I try to not sugarcoat it and tell them what they're in for. Um, and, uh, one of the things that always comes up with creative people and, and craftsmen, and I have this weird philosophy that we're this we're this fusion person in this world of building cars that we're you know we've got to be a little bit engineer, a little bit designer, um, a little bit artist um, to be able to think abstractly, um, and and this artisan craftsman person that you want to be able to finish at a very high level of whatever it is that we're doing, whether it's how we finish metal work, how we finish our paint work, what the overall package finish for the vehicle is. Um, that's a tough thing. That's a tough thing to find in anybody and or try to get somebody to, to mold to. Um, so when managing the projects, it's a balance of knowing people's strengths and weaknesses and giving them creative latitude because going back to the hiring process, a lot of times what always comes up is I get this, so yo, man, um, do I get to be involved in decisions or do you just tell us everything that, that you know we need to do? And my response to that is, no, I want your input and I want you to be involved in the creative process because I think we're going to end up with an idea that evolves into something better. And I think anybody working in the field and I, you know, learning over the years that everybody wants to be able to have some input. And I think that's important. So I kind of encourage it. I try to embrace it. Um, and it's funny how things evolve and time goes by and People get more comfortable in the workplace, and, and you kind of really start to see where people's abilities shine. You see where their egos shine, um, and and where some of those obstructions start to take place. And managing people's skill sets, you know, and knowing where their strengths and weaknesses are, 
it's this weird, delicate thing that I have to deal with all the time where, you know, I got one guy who's really good at um, developing some ideas and um, thinking outside of the box, but then he forgets or doesn't take into effect that there's 18 other things that are going on in that area. So, but it's the beginning of something. And then we've got this guy over here who's really good about remembering the details of all of the things that got to get packaged, but he is, he struggles with creative ideas or abstract ideas. So, you know, it's almost like I'm dealing with two kids that don't play well together in the sandbox, but you got to get them to, and then also not get butt hurt when somebody else has to implement, like they're going to start working in that area. And, you know, I got to say, hey, you know, so-and-so, you need to stop. You've done a great job. Let's move over to this now. And this guy's now going to come in here and help us. And it ceases to amaze me how people get wound up about that, like, oh, I'm not good enough to finish it. And it's like all of this shit starts to manifest and then they don't talk about it. And so I find that I'm just trying to now manage um, behavior in the shop and see how they're reacting to these situations so that if I find they're a little weird or they seem a little off, I'll, I got to go back and reapproach it the best that I can and not forget to with all the things that I'm doing through the course of the day. Um, so as we evolve into streamlining into just focusing on certain types of builds, you know, or, or the builds that we are known for or like to do, that's an important element for me and really making sure that we have people that fit in the workplace. Um, maybe, you know, I, I'll never forget years ago, we did a card for a guy, probably our first couple years in business. And, um, you know, I was, I was 22 years old going on 23 when we officially started the business. And I look back at that and I'm like, that was way too early to start. I had a lot of experience doing the work. I started at a young age. I grew up in a body shop. Um, so, and I think even inherently my dad, my dad had his own body shop. So I kind of learned things by just observing and was kind of finishing college and business classes and all kinds of stuff. And, um, but that still was no idea of what, what I was really in for. And, uh, um, if I had the opportunity, I probably would have just gone to work for somebody else. But in 1992 in Santa Rosa, California, Sonoma County, um, there was no place to go work. So it was either move out of the area, move to L.A., go apply for people I've read about or looking around. And I'm like, well, I'm already doing this stuff. I've got this car I'm working on for this guy. And doing this one over here and this guy asked us about doing paint on this other hot rod it's like well let's give this a go so that was kind of how the inception started and for the first couple of years into it you know i'll never forget you know one of my customers saying the older you get less tolerance you're going to have for bullshit and it sucks because that seems to be coming true i don't want to admit getting older uh um, and I don't 
don't really want to start bitching about that kind of stuff, but I've just kind of decided, you know, I've raised two kids now in college, um, you know, and still kind of raising kids because you pay for college and, and the things that come along with that. Um, but sometimes I'll have conversations with my kids that are more mature than people that I've worked with that are my, could be my parents' age. So, um, not only is it awesome in business to be able to align yourself with awesome clients, um, but what I'm trying to establish is something more awesome and that's align myself with, um, like-minded people in the workplace and people that want to strive for, you know, certain levels of craftsmanship and excellence and um, understand that they, we all, all of us are kind of a very small piece to the puzzle and to not let our egos get in the way of that. And that's tough. I've always said that the whole hot rod industry, um, car in general is such an ego-driven thing. It's it's really kind of a primal chest-pounding dick extension industry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just listening going, man, I just, yeah. Just the whole growing up, getting older, and dealing with people's BS, and, yeah, you definitely get less tolerant. And, oh, so everything you're talking about is like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. You know, and at the end of the day, I just want to build cool shit, and I want to build it with people that aspire to do the same thing. I don't want a bunch of bullshit to come with it. Um, we all have problems. Um, I'm not. I'm not immune to anything um, that goes on in the world like everybody else. Um, you know, I have. I got my own list of problems. Um, we might need. Uh, another podcast version for that um <laughs> maybe two there might be a a and a b um so i mean it's like we all have shit that we deal with we all are faced with problems at home problems with you know maybe your kids at times um family members friends um it, it's i you know it's like we all have the shit so being able to come to work through the course of the day and put all that shit and leave it at the front door and focus on the work and um, um, creativity and doing things with your hands and, and defying mental obstacles. Um, I don't think a person could ask for much more. I think, you know, that's, that, that's a gratification that you, um, you can't put a price on, um, you know, and not everybody strives for that. And I, I try to be respectful to that. That's, but at the end of the day, um, that's not who I want to work with. Um, you know, we're, I'm, I'm looking for the freaks. Um, I'm looking for a demented sense of humor. Uh, um, I want people to be able to talk at a level that almost sounds like sexual harassment in the workplace. Um, so far, you're describing <laughs> this whole group here. I'm okay. Keep yeah, going. yeah. It <laughs> sounds like know, me at work. That's I, me. I That's me. That's me. I remind everybody that it's not sexual harassment if you like it. So, um, <laughs> right. It's only if you're being harassed, or if you invite right. it. <laughs> right. Right. 
Right. So there's so many levels there. Um, so yeah, you know, I mean, part of it, you know, to me having a good time at work is, um, being productive, taking my work seriously, um, but making light of, um, you know, the seriousness of it. And we can, we can work and joke at the same time. Um, you know, and there's, there's, there's thresholds to everything. I think, um, you know, um, growing up, we've all been around those kids that tell a joke and everybody in the group laughs and then they keep telling the same fucking joke over and over because they, they think that's how they fit in. Um, yeah, don't, Please, please don't apply. Hey, I gotta, I gotta say something, something, Zane, that I, that you, you actually impress me because, you know, Brian and I have had this discussion, and even Alex has been part of the discussion many times, and, and it's not even just hot rod shops; it's just different businesses in general, who, who don't want to say thank you or, or share, you know, share the, the glory or the congratulations with all the people that have been involved with projects. And, uh, you know, they want to say that it was all, it was all me or it was just, it was us, you know, and they, they, they leave it out or they just say it was in house or, or whatever. And, and, uh, and they leave people out that, that were a huge part of what's going on. And, and all through this, you've talked about different people that you brought in and you thanked Brian and, and, uh, and I want to tell you, thank you for that because very few shops, people like yourself, business people like yourself actually do that. Most want to just take all the credit and call it a day. And you haven't done that at all. Well, thanks. Um, you know, in business, people come and go. It's a it's a bummer. Um, you know, I, I like I said earlier, I've, I've always wanted to strive for long term people to be here. Um, that isn't always the case. Um, and and even when things don't work out, um, it's kind of important to me to not forget the people that still played a role in a project because. Um, 99% of the time, I think people try to do their best and they're investing some of themselves in it. Um, whether it doesn't work out for them here and they move on to another shop or maybe move on to try to do their own thing. Um, I don't think somebody should ever not be regarded for um, the work and efforts that they put into something. Um, I definitely have worked with some people that... There's no way in hell that I would want to give them some um, some credit because they made being here so miserable for myself and everyone else. Um, they're the type of people you'd want to throat punch if you saw them on the street. Um, but, um, you know, at the end of the day, I, I don't want to hang on to bullshit. You know, we're all going to go through the more the longer we're around, the more we're going to go through good and bad experiences and hanging on to the crap is not good for any of us. So um, there's some people, even like within this Camaro, the project, there's some people that were involved pretty early on that um, either checked out because they, they didn't want to have to think that hard or work that hard or um, moved on to new ideas of their own and um, still grateful for the part that they played in it. So um you know, and same thing, the customers are the most important part of that equation, you know, without um, their commitment to the project and the finances that come along with this. I mean, they're, you know, a lot of times these projects are employing a small, are, are 
you know, the annual salary for a small army of people. So uh, I don't think any of that shit should be taken lightly. Um, and, you know, in, in the workplace, that's sometimes the hardest part is, you know, there can be some ego, fragile ego that gets in the way and um, these weird things will fester or, you know, things are discussed, you know, uh, you know, the kind of, what do they call that? The, uh, the water fountain type discussions. Um, and the stupid thing is I've been at this long enough. I'm like, it's all going to fucking come back to me. You know, people talk and I always end up finding out about the shit anyways. And it's like, air your shit, you know? Um, I don't, I, I'm, it's weird to me. Um, I'll, uh, I got a problem with something. If I think it's a big enough problem, I handle it. I let the person know. And again, I'm trying to focus on the work. Not It's not personal. So don't make it personal. And the egos can get to a point where um, they just become... I see people can be very oblivious to their roles and everybody else's role. Um, you know, I think um, any shop owner in this industry that has employees um, you're always going to be subjected to oh Zane doesn't do anything all day he's on the phone I know why why am I why why am I making him rich um, you know just oblivious to the fact that they might actually be taking more money home than me at times Um the fact that they can work 40 hours and, and have medical and dental and vision and some paid holidays and vacation time and a lot of things that we worked hard over the years to have instilled and they can go home at five or whatever time that they choose to leave and they don't have to wear any of the responsibilities and accountability of all of it, whether it's, you know, a car leaving on a Friday and the customer wants to take it to a show and, you know, were all the bolts tightened? Did the wheel fly off? Or, you know, is it leaking fuel? And, you know, and I, I know everybody here cares and, and they're thorough and they try, but shit happens. And um, they're not calling the guy that worked on the car on Saturday morning pissed off. Um, so I think, uh, you know, people just over time, they get complacent and forget and um I, I try to work hard to not be complacent or forget. So um, the gratitude to everybody involved over the years to help us build Katati Speed Shop is uh, important to me. And it's a bummer that sometimes that always do, it doesn't end on the on the best note. But, um, you know, if any of those people are listening and just ready to hate on me more after this podcast, hopefully... Uh, um, they'll hear that uh, even though things don't end well personally, um, I still have a tremendous amount of gratitude for everybody that's played a role here. And um, that's something that I try to work hard at every day. I think it's important for all businesses. doesn't matter what industry you're in. Um, at the end of every day, um, I'm really involved here. I'm, I'm here a lot. Um, I'm usually the first one here, last one to leave. And at the end of the day, uh, I try to make it a point to thank everybody that's here. Um, you know, we all kind of give each other a little knuckle bump or whatever. Um, 
And, uh, um, you know, whether you believe in it or not, or the camaraderie uh, is is there for you as, as an individual. Um, it's important for me to to behave that way. And it's funny, I've had over the years, I've had guys, you know, hey, I'm going to give you my two weeks notice. And then they just unleash this shit on me, like how ungrateful I am. And I don't ever thank them for the, the work that they do and on and on and on. I'm like, scratching my head. And I'm like, last night when you left and we bumped knuckles and went skin to skin on each other there. And I said, thank you. Have a great night. You weren't, obviously you weren't listening. Oh, well, it's, it's not, it's not every night, you know, <laughs> weird. shit. <laughs> well, I was going to say, speaking of weird, you usually don't stop with just the knuckles on me when it's skin on skin. So. <laughs> and there have been times I've really appreciated that. I am. Uh, you know, you know, that's one thing that I've, and I want to thank you right now, Brian, that um, you've always been appreciative of being teabagged um, and appreciating the skin <laughs> on skin. So, um, I've uh, got a lot of, lot of, not a lot of friends of mine that um, truly want the teabag to touch um, some portion of their body, even if they have clothes on or not. Um, well, you know me. So, I, you know, again, thank you. Thank you for that. Yeah. I mean, sometimes almost uh, with you a little weird when you ask me to drag the tea bag, but I do it. Well, like I always say, anything for the team and you can't spell team without T E A. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, if you don't know me by now, I'm all in. Um, <laughs> you're getting, you're... <laughs> well, it doesn't take much for you to be all in. <laughs> right. And that's not a gambling term. <laughs> You're going to get 100% of Zane, whether you want it or not. No, man, you're <coughs> back Back to a little bit serious. You're, um... Oh, I you're... thought we were, my bad. Oh, well, <laughs> I was trying to make light of it. I didn't want people to know our dark secrets, but, um... <laughs> Zane already gave those away. <laughs> no, man, work, working with you... I can say, I mean, I've got, I've had the pleasure of working with a lot of people. Um, you've been one of those guys where you're always sincere in your appreciation for it. No matter what we do, if it's the simplest thing, if you call me up and you're like, man, I, I really, I just need a lettering idea for this. Or, hey, can you throw out a quick sketch? I just need to get an idea for a spoiler. To like a full-blown project, you're, you're sincere in your appreciation. It's always nice, too, because there's been times when you've called me back at the end of the day and you've gone, Hey, man, I want to thank you again for what you did. And that always takes me by surprise. You know, it's it's not that, you know, you're interrupting my, you know, my me time on the Internet, which <laughs> sometimes you are. But, you know, my, my silence for that is never like, wow, okay, whatever, dude. No, it's like, holy shit. Thanks, man. You know, it. I think that little bit of appreciation goes a long way no matter what you're doing. And I mean, I, I suppose it works that way in any industry. And if, you know, shit, if you were a dentist and one of your hygienists put in a good day's work, you want to say thanks. I would think so. These uh, these projects become, uh, you kind of get married to them whether you want to have that situation or not. So um, 
you know, either embrace it or, or not. And, you know, you to develop relationships with clients and, you know, they're, they're, they're affording us and myself to have a career. Um, I don't, uh, I try not to take that lightly. Um, I know myself well enough that there are times in the course of the work day um, that I've got a lot going on. I'm busy. I have my own intensity. Um, I can rub someone the wrong way because of that or, um, or, or not. And again, that's just something that I'm always trying to work on. I mean, I, I've had a lot of situations over the years where I was maybe abrupt or short with a customer, um, and, uh, just being stressed and human and, and a lot of shit on my plate. And, um, you know, if I'm on top of my shit and I reflect the day and sometimes it's a couple days later, I'll, I'll go out of my way to call the person and apologize or explain myself or whatever the, the situation is. Um, you know, um, it's just that stuff that's important to me. Um, and the hard part over the years is I've learned there's a lot of people on earth that those things aren't important to them. So that kind of goes back to me and as a business, aligning myself with people of the same, um, you know, um, I don't need, I don't feel I want or need sunshine blown up my ass. Um, you know, there's simple forms of gratitude that I think are just, being respectful to people and, and um, it's just what makes me tick. Moving on, we're, we're coming up on the SEMA show here. And uh, one of the cool things that you're involved with at that is uh, in new product. Can you talk a little bit about what you guys do? On, what is that? It's Monday, right? You guys do your walk around? Yeah. Um, I don't even know how long I've been doing it at this point, but uh, several years ago, uh, I got an invite via through Tim Strange um, to be a part of the new products judging committee at SEMA. Um, so the, at least the last five or six years, it's been myself, Tim, uh, uh, and Dave Tucci. Um, there's a there's a much larger group, but the three of us, um, um, our product category is is more in line with our industry, kind of the hot rod side of the industry. And for whatever reason, um, our group, out of all of the other groups, um, we're the only um, people that, that have to do two categories. And the other one that we do is um, engineering. And that's always, um, that's always kind of a challenge because there's so many interesting products that, that get in, entered into the engineering side of it. Um, you know, it, it challenges us, us to... Um, you know, look at things way outside of our industry, and and um, it's cool because you're kind of observing and learning new things as you're looking the product over, and um, so it's fun. It's um, those two guys are awesome to hang out with, and um, you know, to 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 spend three four hours um, with them during the show and how crazy the show is is always fun, and um, and it kind of forces me. I got got involved with it because I thought it'd be a great idea to because um, I wasn't spending time looking at products at the show you're just you know the show's so overwhelming so you know, it, it really kind of helps me spend part of that day to focus on and, and 
and uh, see all the new products. Um, so, yeah, every uh, every Monday before the show opens, we spend the afternoon doing that, and then um, Tuesday morning when the show opens, they have uh, kind of the kickoff breakfast to the SEMA show and give out the awards for best new products at the SEMA show. So uh, pretty cool, really cool to be involved with that and be recognized with uh, uh, a neat group of people. Awesome. On a less serious side on that question, though, do you ever get the impression that maybe there's one or two products that somebody just came up with just to enter to try to win an award? (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot of dog shit in there. (laughs) Like they built it on the drive to SEMA? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well in, in their defense the uh, the hotel they stayed at did have a business center that's you right know, with a copy machine you know, some, some coffee stir yeah. sticks sema didn't know this but not only was i a judge but we entered something <laughs> that we just <laughs> that we developed on the car ride over that morning <laughs> no i mean um, I'll uh, I'll say things that probably can offend people, but I always kind of use them tongue in cheek because you know, like in anything in the industry, there's a lot of stuff going on that you know you might not have interest in or doesn't interest you at the time, and and being a part of that group forces us to look at some things. I'm like, you know, why is this here? Um, it's not really new. Um, and then there's just a lot of odd products sometimes too, you know, new ways to have underglow lighting or um, just stuff that um, I know there's a big market for it in other channels in the industry, whether it's a different type of car. Um, but, you know, when you're hot rod industry or if you're into, you know, restored classics, um, having mood changing light usually doesn't fall into play. Um, but you know, it's, it forces me to go into that, that situation with a, with a different mindset. So yeah, there's a lot of weird stuff. There's a lot of stuff that leaves you scratching your head. Um, sometimes we get some good laughs out of it. (laughs) I always imagine like in the restoration side, there's, there's gotta be the one weird part out there, you know, some weird thing. Oh, it's the, it's the super rare 73 Vega tick lock tack, which was, you know, a combination tachometer, clock, and locking gas cap. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is the special build sheet removal tool. It's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be a kit. <laughs> kit. <laughs> Comes like in a silicon case, everything's all foams cut out, yeah. Well, you know, as we roll into the 2018 SEMA show this year, I would advise you guys to walk through new products because, thankfully, it's not that bad. But I, th- I think we did last year. I think we rolled through there. We did. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. If we only knew somebody with a key to the cases. We yeah. had an idea. We wanted to sneak a product. Hey, can we do that? Can <laughs> we work with you? <laughs> if you if you can get me an advance, just just an idea, you know, you know how we work. Just get me in a dimension and a typeface sample of what they use for the little cards that sit next to the parts. 
I would so, so we gotta love- what we're what you're saying is is we gotta go back to the beginning of this conversation and that we're all on cell block D. Yeah. Thanks again for listening. Exactly. Be sure to keep up with us gearheads over on our website at www.round6pod.com. What are you in for? And if you'd like to, we invite you to follow along with us over on Facebook, Instagram, and be sure to check out all our latest videos on YouTube.com. This is Velcro, which is even weirder. This is going to get one silence of the lambs on us <laughs> hello clarice clarice <laughs> how great would that be though to sneak a product in there at some point oh. like um are you what? talking about the case or the smuggling part of it oh i was talking about well oh. you don't call it the case do you i was talking about the case at sema no. uh, you just said sneak a product in there and i didn't oh. know where you were going well no no we'll <laughs> <laughs> well, if it gets us one in the case at SEMA, we'll, we'll slip a product or the in there. chamber or whatever you want to call it. Brad's a team player. Sort of. <laughs> it'll be a product so innovative, it'll create its own market. I'm not letting anybody use my prison wallet. <laughs> There's always shit falling out of that wallet. <laughs> 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 it took this one a while to go sideways. That's good. <laughs> hey, you want to impress me? Carry this dolly. <laughs> <laughs> we just recently lost a customer about a month or so ago, and um, he was a super guy. Um, probably only knew him for about five to seven years. We did some fun stuff with him. And, uh, you know, the other night I was leaving, it was just me and another guy out front. We were talking about, um, Gary who passed away and, um, you know, he did some neat stuff that you just, you're busy every day and you take for granted. And, um, we would take, you know, I'd, I'd always help him go to the show. He, um, he was at the point where he didn't want to load or haul. And, um, you know, I, I guess I kind of became his bitch, but it was fun. Um, <laughs> Well, we, we did a lot of neat shows. We did some, a lot of traveling, a lot of windshield time together. And even though there was, you know, probably 30 years difference in age between us, um, it's cool. You know, you learn a lot more about the person and you find, you know, new levels of respect as you, as you <laughs> learn more. And, um, we kind of developed a pretty cool friendship. Um, I had a lot of respect for him. I think he had the same for me. And uh, I was talking with Darren out front the other night, and you know, he would we would go to a show, and uh, we had a really good run and from local shows to even some big shows. His his car would do well, and um, he would go out of his way and you know, kind of put it on me. But he was like, "Don't let me forget. I'm getting shirts for all the guys at the shop." You know, so I had everybody's size in my phone, and then we'd go up and he'd get the shirts. And every Monday or Tuesday, whatever it was after the show, he would come in and throw all the guys around the shop a new shirt. Hey, I got you, I got you some new laundry, and you know, he'd <laughs> want to talk about the talk about the show and how the car did, and and, and um, uh, it. We did it for a few years, and um, we had one, 
funnier word, kind of filled the office. We started out at the Roadster show, and we actually took two cars around for the course of, um, you know, up and down the West Coast type of thing for uh, at least eight or nine months out of the year. Um, and and uh, he purposely left every trophy through the year in the office. And at times, at times I'm kind of like, man, this fucking dust collecting bullshit, clutter mess. And, um, you know, but we, you know, we did it and, and, and he'd love to be down here and somebody walk in and he'd tell him about his trophies and the car and the show. And, and, um, it was neat because that, uh, it was really important to him. And, um, it, might seem like an everyday small small thing for us or the guys in the shop but um you know at the end of the year i was excited to clean out the office and have all the trophies leave but now i look back on it and it's like man what a cool thing to be a part of and and uh, um how important it was to him so um yeah i guess that's all part of the relationship stuff that you really start to value more and more as time goes on um you know, again, it's the cars just play kind of a small, small role in the grand scheme of things. Dude, See, that's that's his recurring theme. You know, it, it is. It's all about the people. And you wouldn't have the cars yeah. without the people. So, thanks, man. You 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 brought some insight. Holy yeah. cow! You yes, were... thank you very much, sir. Absolutely, that was great. Well, thank you guys. I don't think we talked much about cars, but right on. No, this is. Well, we're we're gonna touch base with you, uh, and we'll touch other things too. I know Brad's looking forward to touching your wallet at the uh, the SEMA show. I'm sorry, dude. <laughs> it is what it is. But we will have plenty of time to talk cars. I think at the show and um... Brad, bring some candles. <laughs> and a bottle of wine. <laughs> yeah. I gotta bring cans. <laughs> Some box wine. I gotta bring cans, no bottles. Yeah. Uh, somebody could get hurt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, jeez. Oh, broke my wallet. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't shut like It doesn't shut right. <laughs> Anyhow. Thank you. Are you um, are you going to mention to people about what um, round six is doing with the Camaro, or is that um, top secret? Um, we're going to post a quick overview story, along with some build picks for you guys. And what we're hoping to do is, uh, I can't say much about how we're going to cover the debut. Brad has a no. very top secret method for that. No. It involves his wallet, and um, mm. so if you look for a guy really oddly posed near the car, smile and wink. Um, we're gonna we're gonna cover the debut of the vehicle there, and um, I kind I can't give away all that either because that's just gonna give away too much, kids. Suffice to say, the debut of the car will be tied in very well with the website and uh, our YouTube and Facebook channels. So you're gonna want to be sure to see that. And I can't thank you enough for letting us be involved with that, man. Yeah, no, I, we're pretty excited about it. Um, you know, it's um, 
Yeah, I'm, I'm gushing with enthusiasm. <laughs> you can hear it in your voice. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think it's cool. Uh, one thing I've always enjoyed about working with you, Brian, is uh, you think outside the box. Mm. You know, any anybody that's familiar with the SEMA show, um, it's, um, it's hard to be noticed. Um, there's some incredible things going on there, and it's, um, you know... Sometimes you do something different and it uh, um, can work to your favor and, and sometimes it can't and sometimes you shit works in your favor and you weren't even trying. So it's an interesting, uh, very interesting venue in how um, people see or uh, embrace whatever it is that you bring. I think that's that way for every builder or anybody that brings a car. Right on. And I, I just, I think that what we're going to bring this year is a whole new experience to it. I just want to bring people something. It's, I mean, this isn't something everyone can go to. Although there are times right. when you're walking around the show, you should be hard pressed <laughs> to think otherwise. <laughs> but uh, I, I think we're going to bring people a whole new level of that experience. And I think it'll be fun. I really do. It's going to be a lot of work, but it's going to be, you know, we're going to have fun with it. And, uh, you know, thanks, man. You always, uh, I don't know why you seem to trust my vision sometimes. It's worked out well. Uh, oh, we should give out the booth number. Damn, oh, damn it. And here I am, Mr. Professional. I don't have it in front of me. It is the Flowmaster booth. Oh, shoot. Here's look for the Flowmaster booth. 22, I Shit. I don't right. have it in front of me. Dude. That's okay. It's just the Flowmaster booth. Look for the Flowmaster flow booth. booth. Yeah, just look for the big Flowmaster sign above the booth. I, I do the... know um, they're actually doing some neat stuff this year, too. Their booth has expanded, and they're in the same location right there at the base of the Ford platform. Um, booth's going to be quite a bit bigger. Um, they've got vehicles representing, um, you know, kind of all of their lines. And uh, they're an expanding company. Um, they uh, they've also have migrated into the ATV world with the Flowmaster product. So that's another part that's kind of grown into the SEMA show. Um, but it's essentially um, the Flowmaster Hearst B&M booth is kind of our sector of the hot rod world. Um, should be a lot of neat stuff in there. And uh, we should be the only car of our type. Right on. Yeah, when oh, it is booth 22351. Boom. Look at that, Brian, keeping notes. Yeah, you I'm can't a... miss that booth. If you're standing up at the board platform and you look down, you cannot miss that booth. It's right there. Yeah. So, hey, I'm going to let you get on with your night. Thank the... you, guys. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you, man. Dude. Appreciate being involved. Uh, I'm excited. Uh, to see um, uh, the outcome of all of this at SEMA. Likewise. Yeah. We can't wait either. It's going to be a good show. I'm going to get there and I'm going to be like, man, I can't wait to see what these guys come up with. I'm like, Brian, did you do all your work? I'm like, oh. Um, oh. No. I got that one thing at the house. <laughs> <laughs> one thing. Thanks, man. Bye, guys. Thanks, dude. All Thank right. You. See you, Zane. Have a Bye. good one, sir. Take care. You too. Bye. Later. A uh, big thank you to Zane Cullen from Katati Speed Shop for joining us. And uh, like we said, 
keep an eye out for our coverage from the SEMA show. We've got some, uh, it, it's going to be unique. Let's put it that way. It is going to be completely unique. Um, that all said, uh, we're going to wrap this sucker up for the night. Um, as always, at the end of the episode, I'm Brian. I'm Brad. I'm Alex. We're out of here. Thanks again for listening, and be sure to keep up with us gearheads over on our website at www.round6pod.com. And if you'd like to, we invite you to follow along with us over on Facebook, Instagram, and be sure to check out all of our latest videos on YouTube.com. Perry, because you said he's a treasure of the Bay Area. Like Carlos Santana. Yeah. Or I could mess that one up, too. I'm sure there's another side of Santana. Luigi Santana. Is, uh, mm-hmm. His third cousin. Yeah, Pete Santana. Isn't he a custom painter? And so- oh, it's a <laughs> <laughs> Oh. Oh. You know, you know we love you. <laughs> <laughs> so awesome.